only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading dying. Proclamation of God's Word this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. John 15 can be found on page 901 of your blue pew Bible. John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of our Lord.
Let me say what a delight and privilege I regard uh, this uh, worship service as being, and I bring greetings from your friends at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi, which has given you not only Matt Giesman, but also Jacob Tilton and his family, and so we are grateful to God to, uh, to fellowship with you in the labor of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a happy occasion when God gives the gift of a minister to his church, and it's our privilege today to see God do that, to see him place his hand, as it were, through the hands of ruling and teaching elders on Matt Giesman, who he has called to himself from all eternity and equipped and appointed for the task of serving him in the kingdom of Christ in the church. It's a happy thing, too, that with Matt you will get Liz. And it's a wonderful thing when God brings into a young man's life a suitable helper, a a yoke fellow in the faith, and one who knows full well from her own upbringing what the gospel ministry is like, its joys and its sorrows. So I rejoice with you in that precious gift of Matt and Liz. Pray with me, please. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for this divine opportunity, this holy appointment when your Holy Spirit speaks your truth to our ears, our minds, and our hearts. As the words come alive and are lifted off the page in vocal proclamation, may they be your words, and may we each hear and all hear corporately what you would have us to hear, that we as individuals and as a company of your people, together with the church universal, might be transformed evermore into the likeness of Christ and a more effective and vibrant witness for him before the watching world. In the special and joyous circumstances of today, we pray that your word especially would drive its truths deep into the heart of Matt as it enlivens him and empowers him every day as he goes about ministering in your name. May, O Lord, these words, if they are true words, and we pray that they might be, come alive to him in a special and unique way in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I trust most, if not all of you, are familiar with C.S. Lewis's little book, The Screwtape Letters. In there, Lewis does something very unique. And he gives us, as it were, the Satan's eye perspective of the young believer so that Christians might be instructed in the schemes of the devil and, and uh, so that we might be wise as to how he might work to undo uh, the good profession we have uh, maintained. Well, Lewis didn't write that book to ministers, but if he had, he might have added a letter that said something like this. When a young man feels in his heart that he is called to gospel ministry and he undertakes all the preparations necessary for that and undergoes all the examinations and then is ordained and then arrives in the life of a local church, begin to whisper in his ear that whatever he does and no matter how diligent he is, none of it makes any difference. It is not bearing fruit. The people are as worldly as they ever were. And as he looks at his own life, he'll ask himself, what is there different about me than the world? Where is the fruit, in other words? 
Where is the fruit that God has promised? And then when you've, when you've turned his face down and you've turned him in on himself, suggest this. You need to be busy. You need to do the things that look to the world like productivity. So arrange meetings and schedule appointments and plan activities and strategize and and scheme and do all the things that would justify your existence before a world that sees gospel ministry as incredibly irrelevant. Don't believe that, Matt. Don't, Don't believe it. Believe Jesus here. Because what the Lord Jesus Christ promises to you as one set apart as an equipper of saints for the work of ministry, and what he promises to all he has redeemed and called to be his ministers, you see, it's not just those who are ordained to the office, who are the equippers, but but all who are called by the Lord Jesus Christ to be his ministers is fruit. And it's a wonderful promise we are given here. By this, he says in verse 8, Jesus says, Is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit? God will see Himself glorified through those who abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is in the midst of Jesus' farewell discourse. You know, He's, he's speaking to His disciples. His, his death is impending. The cross is looming large now. He has parting words to give to them. And, and this is crucial to that message. He's not speaking this generally to the crowds or even to other believers, even close associates, but His disciples. And as He's doing that, we know what's in His mind because He tells us later on in the chapter... He is seeing the faces of the 11 faithful disciples here. And he knows that 10 of them will go forth and die for this message. The message of redemption. The the fruit-bearing message. We would be remiss if we didn't say what that message was. It's, It's that God, in His great love, both for His own holiness and justice, and for sinful men and women, boys and girls, sent forth His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, out of His love into the world to live a perfectly obedient life in our stead. And then to die a sinner's death and undergo the the curse that we were due that whoever believes in Him might have eternal life, those words would cost these men, with the exception of the writer, John, their lives. And John is an old man, exiled from his friends on the island of Patmos. Because he was human, may well have thought, what good did it all do? After all, what what good did my ministry do? I've been imprisoned here. I can't even be near the churches that I love. I, I uh, I can't speak to them. I can't hug them. I can't teach them. What good that it did it do? And perhaps the Holy Spirit directed his memory back to this very occasion when the Lord Jesus Christ said to him, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. That though the life to the world might not look all that productive or relevant, if one is faithful to the Word of God 
and to the means of prayer is, is key here. His life will be productive. And so simple three points here. The first is those who administer in Christ's name must bear fruit. And that those who minister in Christ's name will bear fruit. But in order to do that, they must be pruned. Well, in the first place, we must bear fruit. There's a frightening warning here, isn't there? Jesus reiterates it. It starts in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear uh, more fruit. He goes on again, if anyone does not abide in me, verse 6, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. When God invests his Holy Spirit in us, when he makes his church and the individuals in it, the living incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, now ascended to God's right hand, who sent forth his spirit and said of that work, greater things than these will you do. He expects a return on his investment. We are ordained, predestined by God, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, unto good works. We are his workmanship, unto good works that God ordained beforehand that in them we should walk. And Satan can use verses like that. Perhaps you know if you're at all tender in your conscience, how he can use words like that. Do you mean that when I stand before God at the last and give account for my life, no matter how diligent I have been in pouring myself out for others, no matter how careful I have been to guard my walk, and no, no matter how I have worn out my knees in prayer, unless I can bring before God in my arms this huge bushel basket of fruit, I will be lost at the last. And that's not what, at all what God is saying here. Darwin prayed before we came in. I thought it was a beautiful coincidence. The words of St. Augustine, Lord, grant what you command and then command what you will. You see, God never gives us a task to perform except that He enables us to perform it. He, he never calls us to a work without equipping us to do it. He, he never entrusts into our hands a ministry without enabling us to proceed in that work. In fact, God guarantees the fruit. We are to be diligent. We are to be assiduous. We are to be faithful, certainly. But to understand that even in that, it's not... Uh, our own work. It's God working through us. So we are not the power source, as it were. We're not the generating factory, but we are a conduit for the power of the Holy Spirit that whose work cannot fail to make its mark and its presence known. It is the work of God. When I was young, and we would be out at Fourth of July events or other festivals around the area in which I grew up, always there, there was a man. And there were stories written about him in the newspaper and so on. I don't know if he made it to other regions of the country or not, but he uh, was always there, and he didn't say anything. But what he did always was hold a cross. 
And he was there at festivals and events and activities, always there holding a cross. Now, I'm not here to pass judgment on him, whether that was God's call uh, on his life or not is not my business, but to say that all who administer in Christ's name, that is precisely what we do. Whether we are at our desk making phone calls, making arrangements for certain events, planning, whether we are driving in the car, if we're meeting with uh, someone we're counseling, or simply for uh, fellowship at Starbucks, McDonald's, whatever it is, if, if we're out at some recreational event, we as gospel ministers are always bearing the cross. All our conversation is to be centered on the cross. Not a cross on which Jesus still hangs, but an empty cross. Our very presence as the incarnations of the Holy Spirit is to say to others, you are or can be reconciled to God. And that doesn't mean that we just go around with sanctimonious speech and simply spout Bible verses at inappropriate times or have pious platitudes we apply or turn up our nose at, at seeming mundane conversations about the weather and so on, but rather suffuse through all those things because of the Holy Spirit in us is the good news that not holy people, not ministers who are righteous in the eyes of the world, but sinners can be reconciled to God. And in fact, that God sent His Son for that very purpose. If Matt does that, and you as those saints he's equipping for the work of ministry, particularly young people, have that in view, you will bear fruit. You will fulfill this mandate of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you would do that, you must be pruned. Pruning is painful. It's taking a, a tree or a tomato plant or whatever it is, a fruit-bearing uh, plant, and though there are certain limbs that are not dead, they still have some life to them, yet they are detracting energy and nutrients from the desired object, which is fruit. And so the the vine dresser takes out his pruning shears and he cuts off. He does damage to the plant so that it might bear healthy, beautiful fruit. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is about doing with each of us who administer in His name. And it's not a pleasant prospect, beloved of God. It hurts. But we need to remember in whose hands the pruning shears rest is not some nameless, faceless gardener, but the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us and who Himself was pruned, not to rid Himself of sin, certainly, but who learned obedience by the things that He suffered so that He might not be a high priest who stood afar off and far distant from our infirmities, who didn't know what it was, not in his being, in his physical body, what it was to suffer pain and sorrow and hunger and deprivation and loss, but so that he might be a compassionate high priest. And all who minister in his name will be wounded. God cannot use a man greatly, Tozer said, until he wounds him deeply. And 
this is one thing we need to tell seminarians coming in. It's not an academic exercise, what you're undertaking. It has an academic side to it. It's important to know the Word of God. But it's a spiritual undertaking. And in that spiritual undertaking, there is spiritual warfare. And it hurts. And God allows Satan to do things to you to discourage you, to turn you aside from your task, but also for his own good purpose of making you an empathetic high priest, like uh, empathetic priest rather, like Christ, the high priest. One who knows, who can go into a hospital room and say, I know something of this. Not that you always have to voice it, but, but from your own demeanor and, and from your own presence, they can tell. This is not a person for whom life has been easy all of the time. But they know what we've been through. And yet they see the goodness of God and can point us to the the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not going in with just blithe platitudes about how it's all good and everything will turn out all right in the end, which of course is true, but there's a cross first. And there's a cross to be borne not just by Jesus, Paul says, but by us. So he prunes us. But then there's a glorious promise. And that promise is, you will bear fruit. You won't always see it. You may not even be in a place long enough to see it. It may not be born sometimes till generations after you're dead. It may be implanted in the heart of a young child that you won't see grow up and make profession of faith. It may be implanted in the heart of a prodigal who's led for a significant time into a far country and doesn't return home till after you're dead. It's not always easy to see, and that's why you need the promise of God. You know, being a pastor sometimes is, is the easy part of ministry. There's difficulty to it. But take a turn in 5th and 6th grade Sunday school. Not to insult 5th or 6th graders here. And sometimes you'll, you'll leave there wondering, did they hear even a word that I said? They don't seem to respect who I am as an adult. So they, they don't seem to be all that concerned. And I'm trying to tell them how important this is and, and, and to get them to think about eternal realities. And they're concerned about baseball and, and ballet and all sorts of other things and talking with their friends. And this is the very Word of God sitting before them. And they don't seem to care. Does it matter? That's when you have to believe Jesus, you see. It matters. It will bear Fruit. What's the fruit? Is the fruit a basket full of law-keeping that we can take to God? I, I usually kept the Sabbath. I usually didn't commit adultery. I usually didn't lie or steal. I, I, I tried to obey you. And here's, Lord, at the last, at the great day of harvest, my fruit basket. No. The fruit is lives that have been transformed by a message that God loves men and women, boys and girls, sent His Son to redeem them for Himself, and now no longer calls us servants, but friends, friends of God. What a beautiful thing. If anything ought to keep us going when life gets difficult, it's that Think about Abraham, the the friend of God. How amazing. 
How astounding it is. And he uses men in ordained ministry and men and women and young people in all sorts of ministry in the church to bear fruit for him. Interesting. About a week or so ago, I listened to the radio and heard a brief report about God and Google. Something like one out of every thousand Google hits, which doesn't sound like a lot until you realize how many billion Google hits there are in any given day in the world. But one out of every thousand is a search for God. And that itself is not so striking as to where most of those searches originate. Do they originate in the Bible Belt, the buckle of which seems to extend from Texas to Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, maybe even? Is it that area where people still seem to be interested in evangelical Christianity and churches still are relatively prosperous that is most interested in finding God online? Or is it some area of eclectic spirituality like the West Coast? where people are still attuned to spiritual things. They're not thoroughgoing secularists, but, but instead of wanting a God defined by his book and his son, they, they, they go to every green tree, as it were, and bow down before it. No. Most of them come from Sweden. Why is that significant? Sweden is the most post-Christian modernistic, that is, completely devoid of any spiritual interest, country, in the civilized world. What are the questions they're asking? Are you there? What are you like? Do you care about me? And to that, the church has the beautiful answers that of course God is there. And He has told us what He is like in His Word. And moreover, He has shown it to us in the face of His Son, the glory of God suffused in the face of Christ. And He cares about you enough to send His Son to die for you, but not to remain dead, but to raise again to life so that great thing that you fear, even as a a person completely deaf to the voice of God, death itself could be conquered. Well, God can reach people in all sorts of ways. He, he can reach them through a tract left uh, on a table. He can reach them through a book. He can reach them through a Gideon Bible. But chiefly and beautifully, He has ordained to reach people through flesh and blood, fallible human beings like me and Matt and your pastor, Darwin, and others. Why? Well, I think it has something to do with the incarnation, that is, Jesus as God, the Son, becoming man. God didn't stand far off from His people. He didn't just dwell in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He didn't just dwell in a temple behind a curtain where He could not be accessed, but He became man. He took to Himself our nature with all its infirmities and its mortality, sin-exempted so that people could touch Him and see Him and reach out and touch the hem of His garment and be healed and and could look at the nail prints in His hand and fall down in adoration even though they had doubted Him. And so He's entrusted His Word to flesh and blood fallible men so that when they proclaimed it to you boldly, they could also go to you when you're hurting and put their arms around you 
And when you're mourning, they could go and weep with you. And when you're doubting, they could point you to the certainty. And when you're questioning God, they could point you to the answers. And when you were in times of difficulty with your children, they could go before God for you. And this is what God has called Matt to do. I don't know what Matt's job description says. I know what mine says. And it's like the Ten Commandments, utterly impossible. But there's only one real job description given to the minister, and it's neatly three Ps, I think. Prayer, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's in the context of abiding in the Word or preparing for proclamation. That is, Matt's chief job is to abide in Christ, to spend time beseeching God on your behalf, and then looking at the Word of God and determining how He will speak it to you, particularly your young people and people. Ministers can forget that. It's not just prayer and proclamation, but people, because that's the target. You see, God's fruit is lives. And even then, Satan's letter of discouragement sent out against Matt and me and Darwin and whoever else would stand before you and minister in the name of Christ can become a sign and a mark of God's love and his assurance that you have the right enemy. If the world hates you, Jesus says in verse 18, know that it has hated me. If you were of the world, the world would love you. You're mine, so you're going to be targeted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's the way you know you're mine. The devil is your enemy, but don't be afraid because I am your friend. And I will never leave you or forsake you. It's my goal, Jesus says, that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit will abide. Let us pray. Lord, how delightful your word is, even when it challenges us and pairs off parts of us and, and calls forth painful things from us, it always heals us with the balm of the cross and the gospel. We pray that it would do that even now as it falls upon our ears and our hearts. May we see Jesus and may we go forth like Moses coming down off that mountain with a face shining, having been in the presence of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?